Hi there everyone and welcome back to Hits 21 where me, Rob, me, Andy, and me, Lizzie, all look back at every single UK number one of the 21st century from January 2000 right through to the present day. If you want to get in touch with us, you can. You can find us over on Twitter. We are at Hits21UK. That is at Hits21UK. And you can email us too. Just send it on over to Hits21Podcast at gmail.com. Thank you so much for joining us once again. We are currently looking back at the year 2005. This week, we are going to be covering the period between the 13th of February and the 5th of March, slowly eking our way through 2005. Looking back to last week for a second, I thought the poll was going to be tighter, like Toy Soldiers. Just, just managed, it just, just managed to pip goodies to the post. So it's a win for Eminem. Sort of unexpectedly, actually, to be honest. I, I thought goodies would take it, but I'm not complaining. So, on to this week's episode. And as always, we are going to give you some news headlines from around the time that these songs we're covering in this episode were at number one in the UK. Sailor Ellen MacArthur breaks the solo world record for sailing around the globe. In the B&Q-sponsored Castorama boat, she sailed non-stop for 71 days, breaking the previous record by 15 hours. Her record would subsequently be broken in 2008. Three British soldiers are found guilty of abusing Iraqi prisoners. Lance Corporal Mark Cooley, Lance Corporal Darren Larkin and Corporal Daniel Kenyon were removed from their ranks and respectively jailed for periods between five months and two years. And in the US, the age at which prisoner can be executed on death row is raised from 16 to 18. Meanwhile, police in Kansas finally capture serial killer Dennis Rader, better known as BTK. Raider had murdered 10 people in the state between 1974 and 1991. The films to hit the top of the UK box office during this period were as follows. Meet the Fockers is finally knocked off the top spot by Hide and Seek, which gets to number one for one week. And then we have Boogeyman for one week. And Eamon Holmes reveals that he will be stepping down from his presenting role on GMTV after 12 years. In TV, it's announced that Star Trek Enterprise has been cancelled, meaning that after 18 consecutive years, there will be no new Star Trek TV shows in production. And in American football, the New England Patriots defeat the Philadelphia Eagles to win Super Bowl 39. And Kat Dealey presents her final episode of CD UK, leaving the show after six years. The episode featured appearances from Green Day and Daniel Bedingfield and finished with a highlight reel of Kat's best moments while presenting the show, including the time when she introduced Britney Spears to Kylie Minogue. What? That's so cool. That's so cool. End of an era. (laughs) Yeah. Andy, how are the UK album charts looking at this present moment? Well, as ever, our episode this week is covering about five seconds worth of time, so um, it's not a hugely busy period on the album charts. We've got a few familiar faces, so where we left off last week, uh, we had Keen back at number one with Hopes and Fears, and that's replaced by last year's highest-selling album, which gets back to number one for one week, which is, of course, Scissor Sisters by Scissor Sisters, their debut, goes back to number one for one week in the middle of February. So I've only got one new album to tell you about this week, which is quite a random one, I think, and it only went gold. 
It's Some Cities by Doves, their third album, which went to number one for just one week. And like I say, only went gold. So it kind of got lucky at number one there. But yes, very much a mid noughties indie vibe as ever. We've got some good ones for you next week. <laughs> Lizzie, how are things over in the States? Well, on the last day of this period, the 5th of March, Mario was finally replaced at the top of the singles chart by 50 Cent, featuring Olivia with Candy Shop. Another entry in our yet-to-be-named genre for R&B and hip-hop tracks with prominent food-related innuendo. (laughs) I've been racking my brains this week, not come up with anything, so listeners, email in, please. Yeah. Um, It stayed at number one for nine weeks in the US, but it peaked at number four in the UK, two places behind Let Me Love You by Mario. (sighs) Screw you, 50 Cent. (laughs) Over on the albums chart, we have three number one albums to discuss this week. First up is 17 Days by Three Doors Down, which got to number one for one week in the US. Despite being certified platinum over there, the album failed to chart in the UK. After that, we have the final studio album and the first posthumous album by Ray Charles, entitled Genius Loves Company, which was an album of collaborations with the likes of Nora Jones, Natalie Cole and Elton John. It got to number one for one week in the US, was eventually certified three times platinum, and was Ray Charles' first US number one album since 1962. It was originally released in August 2004, but finally hit the top spot after picking up nine Grammy Awards at the 2005 ceremony, including Album of the Year and Record of the Year for Here We Go Again with Nora Jones. Mm. In the UK, it got as high as number 18 when it was released here the year prior. And finally this week, we have one week at number one for Oh by Omarion. It was certified gold in the US, but failed to make the main UK charts, despite peaking at number 12 on the hip-hop and R&B albums chart over here. So when we, when you say Mario got hit away from the top spot, did he get hit by a blue shell? <laughs> I'd oh. slip that one in there, sorry. <laughs> Apologise to the listeners now. <laughs> I'm sorry, this is my level. Deal with it. <laughs> Thank you both very much for those reports. We are going to get right on then with the songs that we're going to be looking at this week. And the first of those that's up is this.
surfaces, sometimes you can't make it on your own by U2. Released as the third single from the band's 11th studio album titled How to Dismantle an Atomic Bomb, Sometimes You Can't Make It On Your Own is U2's 40th single overall to be released in the UK and their 6th to reach number 1, or 7th if you count LMC versus U2. However, this is their last number 1 and the last time that we'll be discussing U2 on this podcast. Sometimes You Can't Make It On Your Own went straight in at number 1 as a brand new entry knocking Eminem off the top of the charts. It stayed at number 1 for one week. In its first and only week atop the charts, it sold 30,000 copies, beating competition from Wooden Heart by Elvis Presley, which got to number two, Soldier by Destiny's Child, which got to number four, Black and White Town by Dubs, which got to number six, and Angel Eyes by Regav, which got to number seven. When it was knocked off the top of the charts, Sometimes You Can't Make It On Your Own fell six places to number seven. By the time it was done on the charts, it had been inside the top 100 for 12 weeks. The song has never received any official certification from the British phonographic industry. Uh, Lizzie, you can kick us off this week with Sometimes You Can't Make It On Your Own. I think this is okay. Um, I like it better than Vertigo, definitely, but I don't like it as much as Beautiful Day. It kind of seems more in that Beautiful Day mould, where it is a big inspirational like it's a definite stadium number i feel like this is the sort of thing that would make a lot of sense if you saw it live it would feel a bit like no you you know certain bands where fans of them will say i went to see them live and it was like a religious experience and it's more than just pop music that stupid music you like but i can imagine that yeah it would be quite sort of engaging and um yeah quite so it would like reach down into you and sort of sort of something you didn't know was really there. As you listen to it on its own, though, I don't. It doesn't quite hit the way I think it's trying to. Like as far as I can gather um, from what I've read, I think it's a tribute from Bono to his dad, maybe. Um, I yeah, know it went through a yeah. bit of a journey reading about it, where they. You know, it, it had gone back to All You Can't Leave Behind, which was their 2000 album. And he felt like it wasn't ready, and they worked on it and worked on it, and eventually, five years on, here we are. And it does sound like it's, you know, it's had a lot of work on it, if that makes sense. It's, it sounds like a song that's taken five years to make. It's very, like, like a lot of you two, it's all perfectly produced, not a note out of place, and it's all about Bono being able to soar above it and make it this big, expansive experience. And um, while I think, again, as I say, I do like it, but it has its issues. I think it's too long, for one. I think there's a middle bit that seems a bit aimless and tacked on that I could have done without. And... Yeah, overall, there's just, there's not something like Beautiful Day that I kind of cling to in my memory. And I think, yeah, it it is, it it has a strong hook and a strong kind of riff that I can hang on to. I think it's just, there's, there's something there about it. I definitely don't think this is a bad song, but there's just maybe something lacking. 
and I find it kind of hard to look past. Like overall, I'd say it's like a, a mild thumbs up, but I wouldn't see myself going back to this in the same way that I might see myself going back to Beautiful Day because I have much fonder memories of that and I have basically no memory of this, I'm afraid. Okay, Andy, how about you? I pretty much entirely agree with Lizzie, to be honest. I'm probably slightly more critical, but I find it hard to be too critical because of the context of it, that you you do feel some heart has gone into this, and you definitely agree. I definitely agree, sorry, that there has been work that's been put into this, that you feel like this is an important one for Bono, at the very least. Um, But I'm not sure it's a compliment, really, to say that it's had all of that work, because it's still kind of just comes out with not enough meat on the bo- on the bones I think because it's yeah. it's quite funny actually that some of the comments that are made about this in terms of the making of it kind of sum up U2 as a whole for me that the Ed said he found the ba- um, he found the song a bit cloying it's like yeah you're in U2 it is a bit cloying and then yeah of course and then um, they said they felt that the chord progressions were a bit too predictable I'm like yeah you're in U2 this is uh, this is what you signed <laughs> up for so it's just and that's not always a bad thing either it's not always a bad thing like, and especially when you want to do a song like this that's kind of straight down the line you know bare in your heart which I think I think does work for this. The problem is though that it does make it sound quite generic and for all the work that has gone into this, you know, this 5-year history that it's had, it does sound quite a lot like several U2 songs that have come before, particularly still haven't found what I'm looking for. It's that kind of generic yeah, clangy yeah. stadium rock sound that I just can't really get into to be honest. And I completely agree that this is probably great live and it's probably really stirring and I get that, but I'm not listening to this live, and neither will 90% of the audience ever hear this live. I just think, Mm. at this point, you two are a band that are made for being on the road and made for those stadiums, which you can tell from Vertigo and you can tell from Beautiful Day as well. And that's what they're going for at this time, and they're not really so much recording artists anymore as they are professional touring artists which there's nothing wrong with that nothing wrong with that at all but i do think that comes across really clearly in this song that it's just quite sort of wall of sound without much without much else to propel it to be honest and i definitely wouldn't say i dislike this song but you know it's it's very long and it's very kind of in one place all the time and i've heard a several U2 songs that are quite like this before so it gets a kind of thumbs in the middle for me that I'm like yeah I appreciate this and it's something a little bit more personal than we've been used to in you know previous times we've covered U2 but it's kind of you know formulaic straight out of the box U2 to be honest I might be being a little harsh but it just didn't grab me as much as it should have really Uh, Okay, well, uh, as for me, uh, this is a surprisingly heavy one for me in terms of what the song actually means uh, to me Uh, So I'll discuss the song first and try to divorce it of any context from my life and just try to take it on its own merits. Um, Like you two, I think it's a fairly middling ballad that is, I think, elevated by quite personal lyrics about Bono's kind of difficult relationship with his father, who was dead at this point. Um, He died of cancer a few years prior. Because I think all the lyrics about them butting heads because they're basically the same person, I actually find them quite sad. Um, this whole thing about him seeing and hearing his dad within his own actions, you know, like, it's you when I look in the mirror, etc. This feeling that, like, your dad didn't also, like, didn't like you as much as he should, 
because Bono dared to be the apple that didn't fall that far from the tree. Um, mm. Sort of heartbreaking, I think. But him still being able to see through that, though, and say to his dad, like, I love you and you don't have to go through, presumably, chemotherapy alone. And things like, I know we don't talk, but would you listen to me if I sang it instead? Because um, I think it's actually a song about the dangers of the way that men are socialized to not really deal with their feelings and not really talk to each other. Um, and yeah. how Bono has managed to kind of break that cycle through music and singing, which is what he's doing with this very song, even if it's too late. Um, but it's just a shame, I think, that the arrangement around him is not quite pulling the weight. I, I, I kind of like that it's sparse, and I like that it, you know, it, it takes a while to kind of accelerate and go through the gears. But like a fair portion of the album that this is from, and I've listened to this album a lot in my life, um, for reasons I'll go into in a minute, um, I think you can feel the influence of bands like Coldplay and Keen. Yeah, definitely. Where the bands seem mm-hmm. to, you two, they seem to retreat into pretty flat instrumentals that sound huge, but don't really land. Like you were saying, Andy, they sound like a a group of experienced touring musicians who have done nothing but play in arenas for 20 years by this point. The Edge's guitar work is really lovely in spots, but I'm unsure about the way that the song presents itself overall. The weird sort of intimate but globby production on the drums and the the bass, where the actual quality of the playing some sort of feels questionable sometimes because of how they've been made to sound in post. Especially really early on with the bass, where it just feels like it's suddenly going... Like it's peaking, almost, like right in your ears. Um... But I think then once the song enters its later acts, like it sheds a lot of the globby kind of swollen perspectives that the producers seem to have the song in, uh, in the beginning stages, and it feels more like a U2 song. Um, I think admittedly this kind of later era U2, where they've lost any kind of post-punk or even slightly experimental uh, sensibilities that they still had around the late 90s, that, that it's all kind of gone. They're just now... They're delivering stuff that's like straight down the line, pretty middle of the road. And I think that without Bono's lyrics and vocals elevating this, I can't really see how this stays around in my memory. And I'm a little bit surprised that it made it to number one as well, especially with Destiny's Child uh, releasing a single that week. But, uh, you know, I think U2 being still capable of getting number ones in 2004 is probably the strongest argument I could make that the period between 2006 and 2008 kind of changes everything. Um, Because, sorry, we're in 2005 and you two are still top of the charts. And when you get to 2009, I think they have one top 10 single, but like No Line on the Horizon is the first time I think I ever listened to you two and thought, you no longer sound current. Pop has moved very quickly away from you, and I think Get On Your Boots was, like, the best attempt that they had. I'm not even sure where that got to, but it was the first time, I think, that they really sounded like dads. Like, I think they just about avoid sounding like dads on How to Dismantle an Atomic Bomb, but you can feel them going that way. And No Line on the Horizon, and then the, oh, God, the total misfire of um, Songs of Innocence. (laughs) like thinking that oh yeah everyone's still gonna want a U2 album on their phone or iPod or whatever my my mum's a huge U2 fan and she still hasn't listened to that album out of protest if you want a bit of evidence for how poorly that went 
Um, but I think this song and the album, uh, they, they, they mean so much to me because it was there when I first realised around this time in 2005 that my life had, or that life in general has chapters. Because my parents were huge fans of U2 all through like the 80s and the 90s. Um, my mum kind of dropped off a little bit around like Zuropa and Pop and things like that. But, you know, they were still pretty, you know, clued into what they were doing. Um, and so when this album came out, we listened to it as a family for months on end. They, you know, converted it to tape and then it was played in the car. Um, I remember on my 11th birthday, which uh, my birthday falls in June... Um, so a little bit after the song was uh, was number one, and they were still getting charted singles with stuff like All Because of You, and obviously there was Vertigo, but also City of Blinding Lights, which I think is the best song on the record. Um, I remember the three of us going down to London for the day, uh, on my birthday in 2005, my, my 11th birthday, and we listened to it all the way there and all the way back several times. And so it became a big, you know, it was a big part of my life during the last few weeks of primary school, and I remember on my last day of primary school, the year was over, so I was allowed to stay up a little bit later than usual, uh, you know, watch TV, play video games, whatever. And maybe it's because I was tired that I got a bit emotional, but I remember listening to this song and another, uh, which, um, and another which was City of Blinding Lights. They kind of, they're not back to back on the album, but they're very close together. Um, and City of Blinding Lights would be vault material if we were discussing it and if it had got to number one. Um, but I remember sitting on my bedroom floor and I had a little, one of those CD stereos that kind of looked like an ant's head with a handle and you could, like it was portable, you could take it everywhere. And I remember it hitting me in that moment when I was listening to this song and City of Blinding Lights that primary school was like over. And the whole weight of it hit me and I just, just started crying. No. And I'm not really, I can't really explain it to this day. I remember my mum coming in, because I think she heard me, and she asked me what was, or um, did I go out onto the landing? I think I went out onto the landing, and I sat on the stairs, and I remember my mum looking at me and asking what was wrong, and I think I said something along the lines of, like, I can't believe I'm never going to see some of those people ever again. And I was, like, 11 years old, and I don't know why mm. I was thinking about that kind of stuff. But this was what was playing, and this whole album was around when I realised that life has chapters, and that the first one, my first, my first chapter of my life, was done, and there was nowhere else to go but forwards, even if I wanted to or not. Um, which is a really strange thing to. It's a really strange significance that this album has because it's like, it has "City of Blinding Lights," which I really like, and I'm positive towards this and vertigo and there's a song on there called love and, love and peace or else which is a little bit different for for them at that point it's a bit like what if you two try to be zz top um but then the whole second half of the album is just these like really quite dull uh soft rock ballads that don't like yahweh oh god and uh, original of the species and all these yeah just totally not U2, the sign of them kind of going slightly over the hill, uh, and then they are, you know, way over the hill by the time of No Line on the Horizon. Um, but I think this is the last time that U2 sound current, and I think it's appropriate that this is their last number one, because I think it was the last time they ever had a chance um, of getting close to one. Um, 
do we have anything more to say about you two or the song itself? Because you know, last chance. So, I, I guess the only. I mean, first of all, that was a very touching story. Thanks for that, Rob. Um, yeah. The only other thing I would add is that I can't remember which one of you said it. That comments about them seem to be a little bit inspired by Keen and indie music. Um, that that definitely stands out to me of this whole era and a little bit after this with you two of what I know of it that it starts sounding like the kind of thing that Keen or even like the Zootons might come out with for some of their songs um, mm, I th- or like Embrace or something yes yeah yeah. this kind of feels like the period in time where they stopped becoming trendsetters and became trend followers and that's not a bad thing because they've been around for like 20 years at this point there's nothing wrong with that but yeah. it's yeah, I would sort of agree with you, Rob, that this is the moment where I would describe you two as no longer particularly relevant. This is where the the needle starts to turn on them, I think. Yeah. And I think it's something we've already kind of discussed, but there's also a bit of luck, I think, in that they've just kind of come in at this tail end of like an era in chart music where like like every song we cover this week, Elvis is at number two or number three. Spoiler alert. Yeah. And it just kind of speaks to the fact that you can have everyone buy your single on the first week and it gets and that'd be enough to get to number one and then nobody ever buy it ever again. Yeah. Yeah. You do end up around this um sort of around the mid noughties where there were some bands who managed to get top forty singles because like fifteen hundred people bought a CD. If they could convince exactly. enough people by like internet guerrilla marketing, basically, and so yeah, just this little short period, um, sort of like the early mid two uh, thousands, where like it's just before they start counting downloads, um, and even then, when they start counting downloads, the sales don't really boost up that much. They kind of go back to roughly average levels. Um, so yeah, thirty thousand copies for U 2s last ever number one and it's enough so we will move swiftly on and the second song that is going to be up this week is this This is Get Right by Jennifer Lopez. Released as the lead single from her fourth studio album titled Rebirth, Get Right is Jennifer Lopez's 13th single overall to be released in the UK and her second to reach number one. And this is not the last time that we'll be discussing Jennifer Lopez on this podcast. 
Get Right went straight in at number one as a brand new entry knocking U2 off the top of the charts. It stayed at number one for one week. In its first and only week atop the charts, it sold 50,000 copies, beating competition from Surrender by Elvis Presley, which got to number two, <laughs> Hush by LL Cool J, which got to number three, How We Do by The Game and 50 Cent, which got to number five, Sunrise by Angel City, which got to number nine, and Cradle by Atomic Kitten, which got to number ten. Good to see you again. When it was knocked off the top of the charts, Get Right dropped one place to number two. By the time it was done on the charts, it had been inside the top 100 for 17 weeks. The song is currently officially certified gold in the UK as of 2023. So, Andy, Jennifer Lopez and Get Right. Uh, go ahead. Mm, it's uh, it's definitely a big week for artists I just don't particularly vibe with in a non-specific way. Um, that you you two have always just been a bit bland to me, and I'd say the same of J Lo to be honest. So uh, yeah, it, w- it was not the most inspiring week for me. This this one though is interesting because it has that hook to it, and I'm gonna make a comparison with goodies from last week that. If you don't like that hook, you are screwed. That it lives yeah. and dies on that. And unfortunately, I don't like that hook. I find it, um, it's, no, it's not actually annoying in itself. I just think it's really high in the mix. Really, really high in the mix. Um, to the point where it seems to be louder than JLo's vocals a lot of the time. And that's partly because she has quite thin, not particularly powerful vocals, and she sings in that kind of breathy kind of way. But also, it's just badly mixed. Um, so yeah, that's a getting that straight out of the gate. That's my big down point for this song. That it's just it's it's too heavy on that. I shouldn't have done that. That was awful. But you know what I mean. Um, yeah, I think that's probably my big downside of the song. But otherwise, it's okay. Um, again, referring back to goodies last week and referring forward to Pussycat Dolls in the future. Another one of those really where it's kind of sort of indistinctly kind of vaguely intimate and sexual that it's got that kind of vibe to it that hips don't lie as well will take forward i think that um similarly quite annoying quite loud hook from hips don't lie is probably in some way inspired by the one from this um yeah it was fine it, it it's okay for a j-lo song who i really like i say i just don't vibe with in general i like on the floor and i'm looking forward to getting to that spoilers but um other than that she's just not an artist i really connect with and i'm really hoping that one of you two can enlighten me because i had the same problem um last time we discussed j-lo this is only the second time and i've already kind of run out of things to say about her um but yeah this is actually of all the songs we've covered this week this is the one that has stayed in my head the most um, but in kind of a frustrating, irritating way, rather than a catchy way. But I can totally see why this got to number one. I can totally see why people got into this. This is not hugely for me, to be honest. Um, convince me, though. I'm open-minded on this one. Someone convince me. <laughs> I don't think you're going to have the strongest advocates arguing against you here. Fair enough. Um, <laughs> how do you feel about Get Right? We have crazy and love at home. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, that's like the biggest problem I have with this song is that it's okay in its own right, but it reminds me of a much better song. And it's like, well, why am I not just listening to that? Also, um, interesting that you mentioned goodies because um, this, again, is another song that has a tangential link to Usher. 
Yes. He's everywhere, yeah. isn't he? So, he is, he is. So, Usher did a song called Ride, which had basically the same beat and the same, I want to say the bridge was pretty much the same, just some lyrics changed about. Um, I think he wanted to get a writing credit on this, but they didn't give it to him, so he was a bit miffed. Yeah, he passed on the beat, didn't he? He did, yeah. And like, um, so yeah, interesting that he comes up again. Um, it is, I guess it's from 2004, and 2004 was the year of Usher, so I suppose it only makes sense. Mm. But yeah, I think with the production here by, is it Rich Harrison? Yeah, yeah, yeah same guy who did Crazy in Love. <laughs> oh, well. Yeah, he did Crazy in Love and did one thing. Again, two better songs, because I think one of the big things about those is that they do have those big hooks and the big sam- the big soul samples but they also have more presence in the vocals which as you say Andy I don't think Jennifer Lopez quite has she does have that quite kind of breathy and quite it's, I don't want to say she's got a soft voice but she doesn't have um an instantly impactful like memorable one either yeah and I, i'm actually not like i'm not criticizing her voice per se like i, I quite like a sort of breathy no, no, no. you know kind of no she's a good voice. singer yeah yeah she's, yeah but it's like not for this sort of thing mm. i think this is not quite her domain and yeah i think maybe with another artist i think it could have lifted it slightly but i think there's also something just a bit lacking in the song overall and also, I do agree that I think the the beat is kind of, well, the hook is kind of high in the mix, particularly on the chorus where you you just hear it looping. And in the background, you can't unhear that from the Soul Power 74 sample. It's just like, every, so every every bar is like, <laughs> like, like she's on a spring, like Zebedee, just bouncing around. So yeah, um... I mean, that's all I've got to say about it. And I thought there must be some more I can try and get from this. So I thought we'd ask the kids of 2005 what they think about this. Because I don't know if either of you remember, um, but Newsround used to do singles reviews. I do remember this. Ah. Yeah. Yeah. And they got kids to sort of comment in. So they did their own kind of review. Uh, they gave this one news round out of five. Oh. Wow, that's harsh. Just a bit. Um, so um, the first question they put is, will you still be humming it next week? Probably, but only because the tune is annoyingly repetitive. Ah. <laughs> but then when we get to the kids, so we've got like um, Alicia, 11 in Tildesley, who says... I think J-Lo should stick to her typical R&B music, <laughs> though the beat makes it individual. <laughs> David, 13, from Kefili says, It's one of those songs you know is rubbish, but you can't help loving it. I can't get it out of my head. <laughs> and I'll finish, I'll finish this off, because we'll be here all day otherwise. We've got Tulsi, who's 11, from Walsall, who says... I really like this song. It's one of her good songs and wiki to boogie to at a party. Exclamation point. Aww. That, that last one's quite adorable. These are all the kids she would have just graduated school with, Rob. And like, 
Yeah. Well, uh, well, that's a way to segue back to you. What did the kids of 2005 think about it your way? <laughs> yeah, um, honestly, I barely remember. But I do just want to say that, like, of those three reviews, the last one felt really genuine, like someone who really likes JLo and is just like, well, I love it. And then the first two are like the kind of things that would be said by the kind of kids who would send a review of something. <laughs> to news round at the age of 11 13 <laughs> and i was one of those kids yes a feeling um, seen there yeah <laughs> yes uh, felt very seen for a second there i'm in this photo and i don't like it um i thought i really liked this but i don't um i'm only mildly positive towards it because i think like having basically the same atmosphere as crazy in love or one thing because, of course, Rich Harrison. I think it exposes exactly the same thing that you said, Lizzie, where, like, Jennifer Lopez doesn't have much character as a singer compared to her major contemporaries. I just find the experience Mm. to be enjoyable but sort of flat. And I think it's the flatness that kind of caught me off guard because I like the brass sample, even if it really grates uh, after a while. And I like the kind of forceful percussion, the kind of, it makes me feel, it reminds me a little bit of something that Timbaland might do, just with the kind of, you know, the slightly onomatopoeic effect that it has. Um, and I I think the, um, you know, the, not that I'm enunciating that properly, but like, that, that does well get stuck does. in your head. Yes, uh, yeah, but I, I'm unsure about that brass sample that comes in when she says that as well, because it's like, and it's like this weird noise that appears <laughs> behind her. Um, speaking of weird noises that appear behind Jennifer Lopez in the mix, I, similarly to you, Lizzie, was completely distracted by the um, or whatever noise that is that appears every four beats, every four bars. Like, yeah, it feels totally out of place for the song. I've no idea why they couldn't just replay the tenor sax and then just get rid of the, you know, just interpolate rather than sample. I really don't have a clue. Um, I do also like the decision at the very end to have that little girl sing the song, the hook at the end, which is nice, because yeah. it, it, it's an emotional hook, but it's right at the end when the song is over. And ah, I don't know, I just think for all the noise that it makes and for how bright it ostensibly is, I actually find it just kind of adequate and kind of flat and you know for something that should be so full of life and color it just doesn't feel that way i was really struck by like how not bothered i was by it like not like it's it's not offensive and it's like i dislike it i'm broadly fine with it but i don't know it just kind of struck me as a missed opportunity i think you know with because it is it's a great sample to use but i just think they never move away from it and so it always feels static it just feels so static the only other sample they get is the other one that is equally slightly irritating the sort of like the just from whatever other song it was or whether that's been played in or if it's from the same track i'm not sure it's from soul power yeah yeah from the same track. i just i don't know i just i'm struck by how just kind of plain the whole experience feels and i do think a lot of it has to do with the fact that jennifer lopez like jennifer lopez could not do crazy in love and she could not do one thing but beyonce and amory could walk onto this track and make something bigger from it i think because absolutely yeah beyonce does something kind of similar later on with something like love on top you know a similar kind of feel and 
I mean, Beyonce's whole thing with that is like, especially at the end where it's like, here's four key changes that I can match perfectly, you know, come at me sort of thing. Whereas I just don't think Jennifer Lopez has the kind of vocal dexterity. I just, I, I can't put my finger on what it is that just doesn't lift with JLo. And I think it's just that she has no kind of specific sound or style of her own. Like there are, there are a few artists I can think of who are as reliant on a catchy hook in the mix or a catchy sample. Like, I, I like On The Floor, and that's probably, by default, my favourite J-Lo song, but that is entirely because of that sample of the Lombarda. Like, spoilers yeah, again yeah. for, like, six years in the future, but I just think it, she is the least of it with the songs. It's, it's the songs that are relatively catchy, and then she is a bit of an icon because she's, like, stunningly beautiful, and she kind of has a A-list celebrity story going on, but I think musically... There's just so little there with J-Lo. She's really, really um, just one of the pack. And I think without that context of the time of like, oh, yeah, she's J-Lo. I think if you were to show her music to like young people now, they just would not understand why she was big at all. Um, and who could blame them? There's well. definitely a couple of people like that who I can think of later on. I think at least with J-Lo, she represented quite an underrepresented community in pop music. There wasn't... Like, it seems weird to say it now, but there was not a lot of, you know, um, Hispanic representation in pop music in the early 2000s. Um, But yeah, later on, I'm thinking of people like, this may be unfair, but I'm thinking of like, someone like Katy Perry, who never quite found their own voice. And once, once they disappeared from pop, they vanished without a trace. Okay, on to our third and final song this week, and it is this. This is Over and Over by Nelly featuring Tim McGraw. Released as the second single from his fourth studio album titled Suit, Over and Over is Nelly's 12th single overall to be released in the UK and his third to reach number one. And this is not the last time that we'll be discussing Nelly on this podcast. Over and Over went straight in at number one as a brand new entry knocking Jennifer Lopez off the top of the charts. 
It stayed at number one for one week. In its first and only week atop the charts, it sold 42,000 copies, beating competition from Marie's The Name by Elvis Presley, which got to number three, <laughs> Wake Me Up by Girls Aloud, which got to number four, Locked Up by Akon, which got to number five, Oh My God by Kaiser Chiefs, which got to number six, Hounds of Love by Future Heads, which got to number eight, and Caught Up by Usher, which got to number nine. When it was knocked off the top of the charts, over and over dropped one place to number two. By the time it was done on the charts, it had been inside the top 100 for 15 weeks. The song is currently officially certified silver in the UK as of 2023. So, Andy, Nelly and Tim McGraw, take it away. First of all, wow, Kaiser Chiefs are here, and Oh My God was out this week, and this got number one. What yeah. is going on, people of 2005? Jesus. Uh, I could always leave it at that, to be honest, just out of protest, because Kaiser Chiefs were like one of my first great uh, musical loves. But anyway, um, yeah, this. I'm going to slightly repurpose Ernest Man Pain into like brooding man thoughts, because it's not really pain. <laughs> it's not really any kind of pain that's being expressed in this, because nothing's being expressed in this. It's just kind of hit Nelly's internal monologue for like four and a half minutes and it just goes nowhere it literally goes nowhere like it never ever moves out of first gear and yes that over and over again hook is a little bit catchy and so it gets a couple of points for that but it just does not develop at all and there's not really any kind of angst to it it doesn't have that kind of factor of oh getting caught up in a story um, in the way that Nelly has done in previous songs or that you might have got from like Craig David or things like that that kind of storytelling back and forth through the choruses and through the verses that's just not there it's just like oh I think about this thing yeah and because it's Nelly who's like big at the time and seems to you know just be able to sell records just on his name alone you get a song like this, which is just damn boring. Really, really boring. And, like, I, I just have nothing to hook onto with it at all. Um, again, I'm going to criticise its length. I got, like, two minutes into this, and I was like, oh, come on, this can wrap up now. And then I looked at my phone and was stunned that it was only halfway through. I was like, oh, my God. Uh, yeah. Yes, not a fan of this one, unfortunately. I don't think it's, like, the worst thing in the world because I still, you know, like, t nearly 20 years on, instantly recalled that refrain, that over and over again. I'm not really sure, again, like I've said in previous songs, I'm not really sure that that's a good thing, that that's stuck in my head 20 years on. Um, but I feel like that's really the only thing the song has going for it, that it's just a sort of stream of thought, a stream of consciousness, that we are assumed to find interesting because it's a big star saying it. It's like, no, no. This is filler. This is an album track at best. It's not a single. And there we go, I'm done with it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Lizzie, how about you? I'm surprised you've said this isn't quite earnest man pain because I think it has the most earnest man pain combination of line and delivery that we've ever covered. There's not enough of anything in it to for it to qualify as pain. It's just everything's at like a two out of ten energy level, so it doesn't qualify as man pain to me. But go on. But it, but it's got that, and it hurts so bad. <laughs> like that is like meh. 
distilled yeah. man pain to me. <laughs> but yeah, um, totally agree with you. This just never gets going. Um, I feel like I've been a bit of a Nelly apologist on the podcast. Like, I... Um, I I really liked my place, but I just thought the lyrics were a bit crap. Um, I really liked Dilemma, but I just wish there was a bit more to the story, particularly Kelly Rowland's side. With this, I just don't care. I do not care because there's no effort gone into it at all. Like, there's no story. There's nothing to hang on to. I'm not thinking, well... I'm not even thinking, well, why has she left you? I'm thinking, well, I know why she's left you, because you're a boring bastard, <laughs> if this is anything to go by. And, yeah, I just... I, I can't be doing with this. It feels like... This feels wrong to be a big UK hit. This is the sort of thing that, if I told you that this was number one for 15 weeks in America, you would believe me. And yet, this only got to number three in America... <laughs> And it is mm. the most heavily, like, Americana-style, like, Nelly pitching for the country crowd. Like, he's a little bit country. He's a little bit rock and roll. And it mm. just, like, that ne- that stuff never flew over here. So why have we got it now? And, 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 like, maybe it's just all of Nelly's fans combining with Tim McGraw's 10 fans over here and... Like, like, say, with this period, you can just pip into number one if you sell, like, 30,000 copies. But, again, I, I just can't imagine, like, I can't imagine a young person listening to this because it is such a, it's a dad divorce song. And we've already had yeah. one too many of those this year. And, yeah, I just, I can't get on with this at all. I, I think it's slow and it's boring and it's ponderous it doesn't go anywhere it takes ages in going nowhere i don't i don't see the point i think it's just i'm sorry this is crap i really don't like it you know that um the thing you said about how well maybe just just all nelly fans buying it and there we go that's the end of the story that's that is the thing that keeps sticking in my craw sticking in my mcgraw if you will i'm gonna um, say you're tim mcgraw <laughs> that's the thing that keeps annoying me because i mean random comparison i'm gonna make here but i vividly remember thinking this is when when justin bieber's album changes came out which was the one after purpose which had what do you mean and stuff on and then he released changes yeah. which had yummy and um, a couple of other ones. And I remember listening to that album, and it was one of the laziest, most uncreative, dullest pop albums I have ever heard. And I remember thinking, you know, if this was your first or even second album, this would not even quiver the charts, not for one moment. This is just, you you are lucky that you were where you are in your career to be able to get away with an album like that. And that's how I feel with this, that if this was on Nelly's first album, if he was getting started and he released something like this, boom, stone dead. And he's lucky to get away with something like this, that he's got that kind of star power. And I don't like that. I don't like rewarding phoning it in. And I'm not having a go at Nelly fans for it, because everyone's got their fans who buy everything they do. And, you know, maybe before you buy it, you don't know what it sounds like. This is still (laughs) the physical age for a lot of people. But... Um, no, I just I just don't like that as a phenomenon. Like, oh, here we've got a number one by Nelly here who's just boring us to death. But it's Nelly, so give him number one. 
I just don't like it. It really, really annoys me when that happens. And this is probably the clearest example so far, I think, of that. Well, yeah, I agree. Uh, It's kind of hard, really, to know what to say. Um, I actually completely forgot about this until 2019 when Old Town Road was a hit. And people were trying to get their friends to remember that Lil Nas X and Billy Ray Cyrus hadn't been the first rap and country crossover hit. And people look back at this as if it was to, as if it was like a fine example of such a thing uh, when it oh, isn't. God. Um, like you two, I find this to be very drippy and insipid. And I have zero sympathy for either of their plights in the song because they are just... Just that's that one guitar sample playing over and over again, like some fucking Lighthouse Family record. Like, hey, leave and, Lighthouse Family out of this. Much <laughs> sorry, no, this. that's yeah, that that is uh, li- no, li- lifted is fine. <laughs> lifted is fine, but it is just the and did and did and did It's just the whole song, um, and just Nelly occasionally going oh 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 yeah, and just also <laughs> Nelly can't sing, and I don't know why they make him sing. Oh, the fucking. She's leaving. He is oh, kind of out of tune, isn't she's he? Leaving. Like, it's terrible. He's way out of tune. Yeah. yeah. Well, his his strength was always in his kind of nursery rhyme singing. Yeah, and kind of like so, like it's that kind of simple, like I don't know. Yeah, just like a, a sort of nursery rhyme, simple tune, not like trying to belt it out like he's doing here. And, and it hurts so bad. <laughs> I can't go on not loving you. I don't want to go too hard on, like, you know, men expressing their feelings and stuff because I've literally just in this episode been talking about how, like, you know, men are socialized to not do that. And then when they do that, it becomes uncomfortable. But, like, I would say that I am aware enough of that problem in order to be comfortable recognizing when men are expressing their emotions and it still just does not work for me because of the way that it is executed and the way no. that it's delivered. And I totally agree, Andy, that like there is a subgenre here of earnest man pain. And I, like you were saying though, Lizzie, like, why was this not the opposite way around with us in America? Like, why was this exactly. not really popular in America for like why was it not number one for nine weeks while over here it gets to like number sixteen or something? Exactly. Why? It just feels tailor made for that kind of chart run and chart record, but no, we just have to sit and talk about it. I just, yeah, it's one of those where, like, I kind of remember the music video where it's like, oh, they're experiencing the same day, but, like, not the same. And they wake up and they press their alarms and they get on a plane and all this, and it's like, oh, the life of a musician on tour, God, so hard, like that sort of thing. And I'm just, yeah, I could buy that story if it was delivered any more convincingly, but I just... I don't get this. It just feels so like Tim McGraw can't be asked, and so like if this feels like something Tim McGraw would think up, ten albums in when he's like, "Oh, I don't have to please anyone." It just feels like, oh, "Yeah, let's get Nelly in." You know, like why not? Yeah, have a bit of fun. Like you know, get the old white country fans into like this guy who has a plaster on his face because oh, you know that. I just mm. yeah, I am not remotely interested in this you know tim mcgraw on this is the sound of being paid up front that's what i would oh describe yeah it as. <laughs> <laughs> yeah and it's a shame as well because around this time uh, it was nowhere near as successful um but the there was a hip-hop artist um bubba sparks who did an album called deliverance 
uh, around this time. Yes. Um, which I think is a much better example of hip hop and country kind of crossing over. Um, and it's a bit of a shame that nothing really, I don't think anything really made it to be that successful in this country. Um, but yeah, there's some lovely songs on that record, like the title track, like uh, Jimmy Mathis. Um, so yeah, it's just a shame that that wasn't like a, you know, a, a more kind of prominent example of country rap at the time, uh, if you will. But do we have anything more to say about Over and Over? Again. <laughs> I would just like to say that hindsight is a funny old thing, and when Dilemma came along... Um, way back in 2002, I was pretty harsh on it and was like, oh, this represents everything I don't like about the early noughties. Now we've got this, honestly. I mean, I, I criticise Dilemma for being kind of boring and doesn't go anywhere and uncreative. I mean, it's yeah. like, a, like a day in the life in comparison to this. It just, yeah, maybe I was a bit harsh on Dilemma. Yeah, so I just wanted to have that on record. <laughs> I think we're conveniently ignoring the finest moment in country rap, which was Ho Down Throwdown by Miley Cyrus Boom, from clap. Hannah Montana Boom, the clap, movie. Clap. <laughs> <laughs> Would we define that um that all summer long thing by Kid Rock that's got us oh, kind of country ish? Hell sound. we've got to cover that, haven't oh, we? Yeah. Jesus yeah. Christ. Yeah, I've forgotten about that. Yeah. Okay. Um Sorry. <laughs> no, I know. Yeah. It's alright, I can rip it to shreds when we get there. Um so, sometimes you can't make it on your own. Is that going in the pie hole or the vault for anybody? No. No. No, not, not me either. It, it just misses out on the vault for me. Um, Get Right by Jennifer Lopez. I'm not putting that anywhere. Nope. Me neither. I am going to put over and over. I am going to put it in the pie hole. Um, so easy. Straight out the gate. Just like straight in. Oh, what about you two? Yeah, pie hole. I, w- I wasn't going to, but I've decided as I've been talking about it. Yeah, pie hole. Yeah. Pie hole for me too. Oh my God, it's a triple pie hole. We're going to have to go into the Hits 21 archives for just a second to find out when that last happened. I've got you wrong. Uh, it was Just Lose It, so not that long ago. <laughs> okay then. Not quite as much of a momentous occasion as I thought. So that is it for this week's episode. Thank you very much for listening. When we come back, we will be continuing our journey through 2005 thank you very much and we'll see you next time bye 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 see ya